Folks, we're taking a break from our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through the book of Mark. And this is going to be a little different today. This is more of a topical study um, as we're considering the power of the cross. And, um, and so we're going to read the events starting at Luke 23, verse 26. We're going to read through uh, Luke 24, 12, and uh, then we're going to pray. And then we are going to consider the power of the cross. Luke 23, 26. Now as they led Jesus away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and the women who also mourned and lamented him, But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will they be done in the dry? There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminal, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourselves. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, um, for we receive the due rewards for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Verse 44, Now it was about the sixth hour, And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that sight seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever been laid before. 
That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Last section. Verse 20, uh, chapter 24, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which had been prepared. But they found a stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. And God, we marvel at what has happened. And I pray, Lord, that we live in marvel of what has happened. And Lord, that as we consider again the cross of Christ today, and the most single most important event in human history, that you would ignite our hearts. That we would understand more about your love and what was accomplished on that cross that at any other time in our lives, that this day would be so special, Father, and remind us of something that we should be skipping and singing and shouting and celebrating every single day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. In nursing school, I was writing sermons. As they were teaching uh, about the cardiac system, and they were teaching about the respiratory system, I would sit there, and rather than paying attention in class, I would sit there, and I'd be writing sermons and meditating on Scripture. But those moments where I was paying attention, well, whenever they described a symptom, I felt it. Whenever they talked about um, having tingling in your fingers. I could feel it as the teacher was talking about something like this, or they were talking about heart palpitations. I could feel myself having them as they were describing them. So I could feel all the symptoms, and because I could feel the symptoms, I had every disease they talked about. Every time they brought up a disease, if a guy could have it, I got it. It was the power of suggestion. It was the fact that when they brought something to our attention, all of a sudden, what happened was I was experiencing it. Maybe you've had this happen in your life. Somebody's telling you about a song, and you've never heard the song before. But now that they've brought it to your attention, now you're hearing the song over and over and over again. It's a commercial, and they brought it to your attention. And now you've never seen the commercial before, but now you see it all the time. So there's this, this uh, attention... And when it's brought to our attention, the things that we've never heard, the things that we've never seen, now seem to become somewhat familiar to us. In Christianity, there are symbols 
that we have. One symbol is, well, on the front of our little pulpit here, we have a dove, and it represents the Holy Spirit. In Christianity, there's another important symbol, and it's the Jesus fish. And you can see the history of that uh, as you look at the book of Acts, actually. But perhaps the most important symbol of Christianity is, in fact, the cross of Jesus Christ. Interesting that this symbol that represents us, the cross, it's an instrument of extreme torture, to be perfectly honest. And yet that's what represents Christianity, such an important symbol that some of you have cross earrings, some of you have crosses on your necklaces, on your t-shirts, on bumper stickers, on magnets, on hats. But quite honestly, as a Christian, well, the more we come to church, the more perhaps you see examples of the cross, maybe in nature, or maybe in school. Okay, when you take a look at math, uh, we see a plus sign. That kind of looks like a cross, right? When you're taking a look in English class, you're learning your alphabet, the lowercase lower T, that looks like a cross. Even the uppercase T kind of looks like a cross in certain instances. But how many of you have seen pictures like this? There's a picture of a sunrise that we came up with. Do we have that? Okay. So some of you have seen that perhaps on Facebook, where some people can look at the sunrise, and the way that the reflection is, the way they take the picture, you can see the picture of a cross there. Sometimes you see it in nature. Next slide. Okay, this is something cool. Louis Giglio uh, brought this out in a, a message that he prepared called How Great Is Our God. In your molecular biology books, because everybody has a molecular biology book, correct? <laughs> or anybody have a molecular biology group. This is a cell adhesion molecule called laminin. And if you've ever heard him talk about this, this is fire, because this basically holds <laughs> the cells in your bodies together. And so it's like little mini crosses throughout your whole body that are holding it together. And so this is called laminin. And so there are crosses in nature. Next picture. Okay, how many of you ever had your car towed? Okay, and you're thinking, oh man, it's like my car broke down. I'm not going to get to the place that I'm supposed to be. Then all of a sudden the tow truck shows up and there's the cross. God, you're still with me. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. And there's the picture of the cross. And those are the pictures that I come up with. What about utility poles? Um, we've got utility poles. For many years, we could see the utility poles in the shape of a cross. And when you were going down the road, you've seen these, right? And you could see crosses everywhere when we're honestly looking. And so in Christianity, again, to be quite honest, the cross is an instrument of death. It's an instrument of hatred and darkness and defeat and torture and execution. Yet, at the same time, the cross of Christ is also a symbol for us of life and of love and of light and of victory and of deliverance and of salvation. And that's what we think of when we look at the cross. It's the greatest symbol of love that the world has ever known, and it's also the greatest symbol of wrath the world has ever seen. It proves to us without a verse that says it that God indeed loves the sinner but hates the sin. It's proof. That's the cross of Jesus Christ. 
There's a vertical component that shows us the connection between heaven and earth. There's a horizontal component that shows us that salvation is available to all to call upon his name from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And so today we celebrate the fact that God sent his son, that God actually became a man, lived a perfect life, made the ultimate sacrifice, and that now there's no one on that cross. And that's why we're going to talk about the power of the cross today. Even in the story we read, when you think about it, Jesus was beaten severely. He carried the cross, needed help carrying the cross, was nailed to it, placed in a tomb, and has risen from the grave. And we're going to talk about the implications of all this today. But there are three main points that we want to make in our message today about the power of the cross. And the first is this, is that when we think of the power of the cross, at the cross, what is available for the Christian is healing for our past. It's healing for our past. Romans 5.8, and you don't have to turn there, tells us this, that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is a demonstration of love. And this is probably the least time that you and I are able to demonstrate love. Because love is something that has to be demonstrated, right? It's not something that can just be talked about. It has to be something shown in actions. And to demonstrate it while somebody is sinning against us, that's something. That takes something that's out of this world. And that's the love of God shown towards you that says no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, that you're forgiven. He demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners. Now, when I first started dating my wife, I thought this. I thought if this girl really knew everything that there was to know about me, she would never date me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I was 29, she was 21, and she was this devout, Jesus-loving girl. She had just gotten back from a missions trip, and I was just kind of rediscovering my relationship with the Lord. And so I had... I had microscopes, telescopes, any kind of scope that you could think of was on my life to see, well, is this guy for real or what? And I was scared to death to let her know who I really was out of fear that she would never date me. And perhaps you've had that same fear where it's like if somebody knew the truth about you, if somebody knew everything that there was to know about you, oh, they certainly couldn't love you. I've done too much. I've gone too far. And if they were to do a background check on me, it would probably scare them to death. Some of you actually think that. But the Bible says this, not while you were at your best, when we were actually at our worst, that's when God's greatest demonstration of love came towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, this is something called God's grace. It's his unmerited favor. And it says this, is that it makes us aware that God is aware of your past. God is aware of every bit of who you are, what you've done, and he loves us anyway. Does that not blow you away? Could we not just leave here today and just say, you know what, that's enough. 
God knows who I am, what I've done, where I've been, and he loves me anyway. God is perfectly aware of everything that you have done. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but I'll turn there. It's the book of Acts after God had called this uh, terror named Saul of Tarsus. He knocked him off his high horse, literally knocked him off his horse. And now God told this man named Ananias to minister to Saul of Tarsus. But Saul was known for giving consent for the death of the Christians, for torturing them, for bullying them. And it says here in chapter 9 of Acts verse 10, it says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. That's a good start. Right when God says, hey, Ananias, okay, right here, president accounted for, that's a good start, but listen, the Lord said, now the mission comes, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive sight. Then Ananias answered, uh, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So what's Ananias doing? Ananias is saying, God, I don't think you know this guy, but I do. You might not be aware of his past, but I am. God says, I'm perfectly aware of his past. He answers and he says in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Did God know who Ananias was? Yes. And does God know who you are? Yes. And can he meet you where you're at? I've got a book full of stories of men and women that he meets where they're at because he knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you're done. So it's at the cross we find healing for our past, first Reason is because he's aware of every bit of who you are and what you've done. But the second reason is this. He heals our past in that we can learn from it and not live in it. This is important, gang. Because of some of the decisions that we might have made a long time ago, what's happening is some folks are like a record that's skipping and playing the same thing over and over and over again. And you can't move to the place that God is trying to bring you because you're stuck in the place of where you're at. Now, this doesn't have to be the failures. Lord knows we have them and some of us live in our failures. It can also be the successes that we've lived in. Oh, but I, I accomplished this, and I accomplished that, or I failed at this, and I failed at that. And either way you toss it or turn it, what happens is, is that we're living in our past, and it's preventing us from experiencing what God has in the present. How many of you have missed that sometimes? How many of you, because you've been dwelling on the past, have lost something that God was doing right in front of your face? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed. Behold, all things have been made new. Do you see Peter through the book of Acts saying, you know what? Oh, man, I felt like such an idiot. Here I was. I was walking on the water. I took my eye off Jesus, and oh, what a fool I am. 
Or that one day when I was with Jesus, you just don't see Peter kicking himself all the time saying, oh, here I was, and you know, Jesus said, who do they say that I am? And I said, well, you are the Messiah, you're the Christ. But then I told him that he couldn't go to the cross, and he said, get behind me, Satan. Oh, I can't believe I said that. I put my foot in my mouth again. Do you see Peter beating himself up a lot in Scripture? No. Why? Because we're supposed to learn from it, not live in it, not dwell on it. There are some of you that perhaps have had these moments where you're saying, oh, I just can't get past the fact that I did this and I was so stupid. Truth of Scripture. says we learn from it, we don't live in it, because if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to forgive all our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, which means that we learn from it, but we don't live in it. Now, how do you know if it's something that you're learning from or if you're living it? Let me give you a key. If you've truly repented of it, and if you've tried to make it right with others and God, and if you've truly repented and it keeps coming into your mind, then know that that is from the pit of hell. Satan loves reminding us of who we are, and he loves it when you stay there. He loves that. So if I know it's cliche and don't ever want to get into punchline preaching, I don't want to get into that, but listen... When he tells you of your past, remind him of his future. That's really simple, right? I know, you've seen it on Facebook, and it's certainly not original, but it doesn't matter because it's truth. Because it's the enemy that continues to go after your head and your heart and reminding you of who you were, and oh, oh you can't go any further than this. I see something different on the cross. That we're supposed to learn from it but not live in our past. Listen, there's only one that's going to have scars in heaven, and his name is Jesus. He'll have the scars. Not you. So he's aware of your past. That's how he heals it. That's how the cross heals it. The cross also reminds us to learn from it and not live in it. But also, the cross reminds us of this, that we don't have to waste anything that we've been through. Don't waste any of it. We don't want to live in the things that identified us before. But listen, how many times in Scripture does somebody like Saul of Tarsus, who we became to know, how we came to know as the Apostle Paul, how many times does he give his testimony? Oh, this is who I was. I was this, 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 and this. But whoever it was, it was rubbish. Because when I found Jesus, I found everything. And that's truth. Now, here's the thing. Perhaps there are some things about your past that you'd say, you know what, or some things even about your present that you'd say, you know what, I don't want to tell people about this. I don't want them to know this about me. I want them to know John the Christian. I want them to know John Christian. But I don't want them to know about who I've messed over, what I've done, who I've been, what I was known for before. I don't want them to know that. Listen. There might be somebody that you cross paths with that need to hear exactly that. They might need to hear that you survived a terrible relationship. They might need to hear that you were in an accident, that you just soon forget, but God has kind of delivered you from it, and now you have a story because of it. 
They might need to hear uh, of your addiction and your struggle with that. You're addicted how long? You went into 50 different treatment centers? And what happened? I've only been to 40, so maybe there's hope for me. You know, they might need to hear where you're at and what you've been through. Because isn't that the truth of ministry? Don't you find that most ministries, most effective ministries, are birthed out of someone's pain? The loss you just as soon as not talk about. The battles that you've been through. These become the ministries. And so in that context, we understand that God does not waste anything that you've been through, and he can use it to further the matter of all of eternity by your story. So that's the first thing, that the cross shows us that God can heal our past. But the other thing that the cross shows us is that God is our help in the present. And if we ever forget what it is that he did for us on the cross, when we're going through something, we have a tendency to lose perspective. A lot of the time because emotions can cloud our vision, expectations can cloud our vision, um, we get to a point where we can't see the forest for the trees. Or maybe I should say we can't see the forest for the tree, which he died on for you. Listen, I want to read this verse to you from the book of Romans. And this should really put it all in perspective. Verse 31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do you see what it says? It says, if you realize that he loved you enough to send his son to die on a cross for you, and you're sitting there in a situation where life is beating the snot out of you, and you've started losing perspective, then the first thing that we have to do is we have to go back to the cross. We have to get back there, because that's where everything gets put in perspective. At the cross, what's put in perspective is that I am a child of God. As the song says, no longer a slave of fear, I'm a child of the living God. And it helps us know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it puts it in context. When we go to the cross, that verse is truly put in context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How is it put in context? Because so many times we take the verse out of context. Here you are at the three-point line. All right, and you're getting ready for the game-winning shot. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think that that kind of reduces the true meaning of the verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means this, that life is going to press in on you in the present. It might be health problems. It might be uh, addiction. It might be financial. It might be everything pressing in on you. And what's a risk is the character of Christ. And you not depending on him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means this. That we can fulfill Christ's mission on this earth even when it seems like the gates of hell seem to be prevailing at times. When it seems like the enemy is coming at you with both barrels, it means that we can not only survive, 
It means we can be strengthened for the struggle and in many cases delivered from it. It's our help in the present. But here's the thing is that some of us have the enemy in your present situation and circumstance. Sometimes he's becoming louder than God. And that's when we have to get back to the cross to realize that he is our ever-present help in time of need. There's a story of a miner who, though a believer, was injured at a young age. He became an invalid. Over the years, he watched through a window near his bed as life passed him by. He watched fellow workers marry, raise families, have grandchildren. He watched the company he had served thrive without attempting to make adequate provision for his loss. He watched as his body withered, his house crumbled, and hoped for better things in his life died. Then one day, when the bedridden miner was quite old, a younger man came to visit him. I hear that you believe in God and claim that he loves you, said the young man. How can you believe such things after all that has happened to you? The old man hesitated, then smiled. He said, yes, there are days of doubt. Sometimes Satan comes calling on me in this fallen down old house of mine. He sits right there by my bed where you are sitting now. He points out my window to the men I once worked with whose bodies are still strong. And Satan asks, does Jesus love you? Then Satan makes me look at my tattered room as he points to the fine homes of my friends and asks again, does Jesus love you? Finally, Satan points to the grandchild of a friend of mine, a man who has everything I do not, and Satan waits for the tear in my eye before he whispers in my ear, Does Jesus really love you? Startled by the candor of the old man's response, the younger man asked, And what do you say when Satan speaks to you that way? Said the old miner, I take Satan by the hand, and I lead him to a hill far away called Calvary. There I point to the nail-pierced hands and the thorn-torn brow and the spear-pierced side. Then I say to Satan, doesn't Jesus love me? The conclusion, the cross of Christ is the warrant for confidence in whatever struggle you're going through in the present. You see, here's the thing. Some of you are going to some, through some struggles right now, and what you kind of need to do is take Satan by the hand and take him on a little walk over to the cross of Christ to remind him how loved you are by him and what, powerful, what power is available to you at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because he is our help in the present, just as he heals our past. Oh, there's so much more to say on these subjects. But for a Resurrection Sunday message, maybe somebody has forgotten that he does heal your past. He can heal your past. He is our help in the present. But here's the other thing, and this is the last point. He is also our hope for the future. He's also our hope for the future. Because there's nobody on the cross... There's nobody in the tomb which assures us, according to this word from Genesis to Revelation, that the war has been won, but some of you are still fighting battles that you were never meant to fight. You're still engaging when Jesus won the war, and you're depending on yourself and your own resources and your own wisdom and your own power 
and you're depending on it, and you're wondering why you feel like you're running in place, and you're getting exhausted, and you're fighting the wind. Listen, there's a story of a man named Hiro Onuda. How many of you have heard of Hiro Onuda? Anybody? Good. Love that. It says, for most of World War II, it spanned from September 1st, 1939, to September 2nd, 1945, starting when Adolf Hitler made the decision to invade Poland, it all spiraled from there with Britain's Prime Minister, Neville Chamberlain, declaring war against the German Reich. The war was lengthy and destructive, ending with the surrender of the Japanese aboard the battleship Missouri. Though this is the course of history most of us follow, there were a few, like Hiro Onoda, who was so far removed from communication and reality that for 29 years he waged war. He never got the message that the war was over. For 29 years after the war's conclusion, the Japanese soldier, Hiro Onoda, remained convinced that the war was still being waged. It wasn't a sense of national pride that kept him fighting, however, but a complete lack of communication. Listen, the communication has been made for you. So are you fighting in your own strength? Are you fighting in the strength of one who not only died for the cross from you, but arose from that same cross? And emerge from the tomb. This was an important point for me this week. And I'll tell you why. Because when we say that the cross is hope for our future, there is nothing more final and seeing someone take their last breath and seeing them put in a casket and lower it into the ground. There's nothing more final than that. And if anything challenges our idea of hope and a future, it's those moments. Because they seem so final and they seem so hopeless. Most of you know that in the last few months our family has had more experience with this than we care to have had with the loss of my father-in-law and the loss also of my mother. And as we were going through this, one of the things that happened was that I was told that mom wanted to be buried by my grandfather. And she is about 50 feet away from where my grandpa was buried. I'd never really thought about it for me. It didn't really matter, you know, in some of the ways that I think that, okay, well, you know, it really doesn't matter where I'm buried. But as we were going through this as a family, I started looking at some scripture last week. And here's what I found in the book of Genesis. When Jacob wanted to be buried, he told his son, listen, I don't want to be buried in this land. I want to be buried in the land of my father where Abraham purchased a plot of land. And as I looked at that, I was like, it's pretty interesting. I was with my favorite study partner at the time. That's my wife. There's nobody that I love studying the word of God with more on this planet than this woman. And she brought something to my attention. 
What she brought to my attention was that the burial customs, the body preparation, the tombs, all that that was shown in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, what is shown there kind of sets up the burial practices that are necessary for us to understand that Jesus was buried in a tomb and emerged from that tomb. Now, follow me on this just for a second, because this was profound. If other burial practices, let's say they were they had a tendency to bury someone at sea, or to, as, as you've seen in some movies, how when a great leader dies, that they set them on fire, or they do this, or do they do that, it might be harder to understand the resurrection. But because of these historical, scripturally established burial practices, what happens is this, is that we have a moment in the Gospels where Jesus physically dies, his body is prepared. It's placed in a tomb. There is a stone that seals that tomb. That sets up what happens next beautifully. Because when they go to visit the body, the stone is rolled away, the body isn't there, and the one that's supposed to be dead is visiting people. Oh, I'm Jesus, the risen Christ. Here's why this blew me away this week. Because in my study of this, what I'd never realized before was that the word tomb is never, ever, ever mentioned after the Gospels. Isn't that cool? The word tomb is never mentioned after the book of John. It's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but after the Gospels, it's never mentioned. In the New King James Version, in the ESV Version, it's the word tomb mentioned 57 times. In the King James Version, the word tomb is mentioned three times, and then it turns to the word sepulcher. But it doesn't matter. Because after the Gospels, the word tomb is never mentioned. Because that's not our future. Our future is this. It's the moment that we take our last breath here. We are in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords where there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more hatred, no more war. And that, my friends, is truth. And that's right from God's Word. Right from God's Word. Look it up. I want to close you this morning with a story of a little boy that was lost. And as the little boy was lost, a police officer came up to him and he said, Son, do you have any idea where you live, where your address is? And the boy said, No, I don't, I don't remember anything. Because I don't know the street name. I don't know the street number. I don't remember my phone number. And the police officer said, Is there anything that you can remember that would help us understand where you live? And the little boy shook his head, crying now. And through his tears he said, Wait, I remember one thing. There's a church by my house, and that church has a cross on it. And he described what the cross looked like, and the officer said, Oh, I know exactly where that is. And he took the young boy to the church, found the cross, and when he found the cross, he was able to find his way home. This is where the story begins. The cross of Christ. That's the power of the cross. It is healing for your past. 
It is help in your present, and it is hope for the future. If you've never been made right with God the Father, through Christ the Son, if you've never had that moment where you repented of your sins, and if you walked in the door today and you said, you know what, Pastor, if I were to die today, I don't know what my eternal destination would be. Does that trouble you? I pray to God that it does. Because today that can change. Because the Bible tells us when we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. And we repent of our sins. We turn around from doing things the wrong way. We realize that there's a better way. And we turn around towards him and we ask him to be the savior of our lives. Today here on Resurrection Sunday that we celebrate, it's new life. And there might be somebody in this room that needs new life with the Father through the Son. And so we're going to sing a song, Lead Me to the Cross. Because that's where the relationship with him begins. And if you have never made that decision in your life, we're going to give you an opportunity. Even if you're the only one that comes up, who cares? If you're the only one that comes up today, change everything. So we're going to sing the song, Lead Me to the Cross. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray in a moment, but if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, Today is the most important decision in your life, and it's right in front of you. And what are you going to do about it? It's a gift. You understand? It's a gift. Father, we love you, and we pray, Lord, that as we sing the song, even if there's one, Lord, that needs to come home today. Home is with you. We're sure of that eternity to the greatest love offering the world has ever known, the cross of Christ. So, Lord God, we pray, Father, that if even one person hears this today and say, says that it's time to turn around, today would be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name. As we sing, we're going to ask you to, anybody that wants, anybody that needs to, who wants to say this prayer, repent of your sins, and ask Christ to be the Savior of their life, come on, come on home. Say a prayer with them.